0: Boss will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are travelling still down the Ghostbusters path. We've done all the films, you've heard of that, we're now fandom, and now we're we'll entering into fandom. I'm going to be talking to different people about their fandom, and about their fan status, and what they love about it. And today, I've got uh, one of the hosts of The Cheap Show, uh, Paul Gannon. How are you doing? You OK, Paul?
1: I'm all right, thank you. Thank you for having me to talk about the subject I can't shut up about.
0: that's that's the thing that's the passion isn't it that's sort of like do you consider yourself a ghost head then um as the oh i i don't know i'll
1: tell you why because you know when you're a kid and you're like something unless Mm. your immediate friends are really into it you kind of feel like you're in a bubble right so yeah for me growing up enjoying ghostbusters was something more of a solitary thing that maybe one or two friends of mine were probably just about as into as i was Mm. fast forward 30 years and you have the internet and stuff and it was like oh I thought I was a fan but there are people who have spent thousands of pounds on a proton pack or yeah. you know f- thousands of pounds in general and there are there are fans flying out to New York right now for the premiere of the new film yeah. and I'm like yeah I'm not that arsed you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's
0: like it's like degrees isn't it really
1: yeah um... because there's also there's different kinds of fans there's the fan who knows all the facts and figures, like who's the DP and who directed mm. and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the people who know the law, the characters, the world. And, and then there are the fans who come in from the cartoons or the reboot mm. or, you know, maybe the new film. So you've got all these different people whose opinions of the film differ and change. And um, that's the nice part of any fandom, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people online about this. And you're right about that level of, of, of commitment. And there's a couple of like podcasts, obviously, you know, there's some very sort of specific Ghostbusters dedicated podcasts. There's one called Mm. the Interdimensional Cross Rip. And just in the past, I've listened to a couple of their episodes that, you know, in and out and done different pieces. And then when they've sort of like done like deep dives on some of the films, like they're referring to like call sheets that they've seen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like, you know, I'm like, I, how do those things still exist? Like, who's got those? Uh, you will be surprised because things like this turn
1: up in auctions. They like, you know, people who've worked on the film will keep it in their belonging for ages. Then it turns mm. up on eBay and then it leaks or a fan gets hold of one. Um, it, it, back in the day, the best you could get was a book called The Making of Ghostbusters, which was a close to shooting script version of the film, which was annotated by the production Uh some of the production staff on special mm. effects and camera movements. So it was a kind of nice. Uh, it was basically the script, uh, but with pages and drawings and, and things about what had changed from draft to draft. And that was like the early way to get mm. your Ghostbusters nerd fix. But that book's pretty rare. It's out of print as well. And um, you, they should really reprint it. It's a great book.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a, well, it's one of those, isn't it? The sort of you know, you probably find the publishers. Out of business. I don't even know, you know, who owns the rights. That's the problem with books sometimes; So they fall out of print, but then mm. there's always what rights issues and stuff. And um,
1: and then some bell end says, if you want to buy it, you can get it on eBay for twenty thousand pounds. <laughs> and you think, ah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a copy. There is those things that I find bizarre, though. Um, that, like you say, you, like, I I don't understand why well, they haven't been reprinted. Um, I came across re- well, relatively recently last sort of year. Um, the Ghostbusters Two uh, comic, they did using the,
1: the Marvel does the real Ghostbusters, yeah. doing Ghostbusters Two,
0: yeah. I, I, you know, I, I knew of it and I came across it for like a fiver. You yeah. know, it's a bat, it's a really battered copy, but you know, I, I wanted to get it. But yeah, even that, I was like, why is this like? Why isn't IDW sort of like snap this up and be like, right, we're doing this or. You know, it's, it's, stra- a, it's a, a
1: strange thing, though, that that particular comic book, because it kind <laughs> yes. of fell out of people's. It, I remember I bought mine on on the shelf in Double H Smith's. And to be fair, when I bought it, it was in bad condition. I don't know what they were doing, <laughs> the staff there. But, you know, it was like because I can't remember. who. I always forget the details when I need to. But uh, there was an American comic book company called Wow or something. Mm. And they did a Ghostbusters comic book strip. But then Marvel UK did their own real Ghostbusters comic book. And that was kind of independent from what was going on in America. But it was that, I, th- I think, I think, I might be wrong, but I think it was the American publisher who made the Ghostbusters 2 thing, but released it for UK Marvel in the UK. So kind of, it was it's a strange thing. And also because it went from a shooting script, it has scenes in it which weren't in the final film.
0: Which is why I was so excited to get hold of it. Yeah, because it's got like, you know, Ray being possessed when he's driving... Um, Ecto and and some yeah. of the bits, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." It's it's a really and the fact it's the real Ghostbusters characters as well is actually, I don't know, I kind of like that kind of stuff.
1: um It was nice kind of brand uh, continuity because yeah. the cartoon series was still going on at that point. I think it was on like season four or five, mm. and so it was going to get a bit of a bump from Ghostbusters 2, But by that point in real Ghostbusters, it was kind of ruined by the boardroom interactions mm. and then telling we'll how to change characters. So it was. You know, it was necessary, I think, to keep all the brands on 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 check or whatever you want to say.
0: Yeah, uh, you're right. But the, the cartoon, because the, the cartoon, well, the, f- the first film is my entry point. Like, I can't remember being a kid. Um, mm. I was I was well, I was born in '81, so I was very young when it first came out. But I remember finding it on video um, around the time the cartoon came out, and then just being you know obsessed with it. Then, um, and then collecting on uh, that monthly thing, the Marvel UK. Mm. magazine and that comic then that obviously the real ghost was I used to love that and I've, I've managed to, like you say you you come across these things either online or in charity shops or odd places where they're like for a couple of quid like you pick them up so I've got like a, a small collection of this nice to, to acquire yeah. it's funny yeah. I
1: never had the annuals when I was a kid but <laughs> I've seemed to have bought them all in the last six months from charity shops in very good <laughs> yeah. condition as well so yeah. it's like yeah congr- congratulations me I guess
0: yeah, no charity shops are bizarre. I've got two of them. I, I don't know what years they are. I've got one with the blue cover. Uh, I can't. I'm going to describe it. And there's one with the the actors on it and stuff. But I was like, yeah. yeah, I picked up in charity shops as well. And it's just sort of like all of a sudden they're just sort of yeah, um, uh, yeah, just a, we were away. I'm like oh, I'll just I'll just have a look at this Heart Foundation shop. See what's in there. Mm. Find it for like two quid.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've. I mean, that's what my podcast is literally about. It's like what the the stuff, yeah. the magical kind of stuff you can find in a charity shop. And like the story I always tell is I was, you know, in I was in back pain one day coming home, doing shopping, just thought, oh, I'll randomly pop into Mind charity shop around the corner from where I live. And then I walked in there and I saw in the corner, a pristine box board game called Dark Tower by MB games, electronic. And it's like released in 1981. It's this huge, big plastic kind of black tower with a little computer in and revolving mm. screens, basically Dungeons and Dragons, um, Long story short, I said I have to buy it because it said seven quid on it and it was in great condition. So, me in my agony carrying this heavy big box home with me. <laughs> and then I got home and found there were people online selling it in mint condition for like three, $400. So, it's crazy. I mean, I'm not selling it for that much. And to be fair, the people who put it on eBay for that much very rarely get it for that much. Yeah. So, yeah. it's all, you know, prospective prices. But, best bargain I ever found.
0: No, that's amazing. I, I, I do find this is a real side tangent, but I, I find charity shops like, fascinating for that because you do you either find a real bargain like that and i've you know you found i found one or two um like i found a complete collection of uh dennis Wheatley like hardbacks in okay like, um like 12 books for a tenner so i've got another really good really enjoy them but the other thing is then you're looking the same one and like yeah they've got something where they'll have seen especially now with comic book movies They'll have some crappy comics that have been battered, and they're trying to sell each of those for like a ten. <laughs> yeah,
1: they chance like, there are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but talking about comics, I mean, you know, you, you, obviously the fan we've talked about the real Ghostbuster stuff. Have you re- have you read any of the new stuff or newer stuff, really, sort of the the IDW? Um... Yeah,
1: I, I'm selective about it. I kind of like the gimmicky episodes or the uh, issues they've done. So when they did um, Answer the Call uh, crossover. <laughs> With the mm. Original Ghostbusters, I really enjoyed seeing you know those characters you know tell more stories. I like the uh crossing over where they yes. crossed over every sodding Ghostbusters thing they could, yeah. they stuck in that and you know they just about made it work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of, I, I mean, I, 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 the one they released where well, it was meant to be out before the f- film in 2020, but they released a thing called Year One, I think, which yes. was um about what happened. Either just before or just after the movie. And I thought they were all right, but it, it reeked of the prequels, where it's like, you, you don't really need to tell these stories. It's nice that they did, but they don't really need to tell this story about, you know, Peter Venkman being a bit grumpy for a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're very much sort of like filler, aren't they? I, I don't yeah. mean they were quite good fun.
1: Um, yeah.
0: But yeah, they didn't, they, didn't, they were not earth shattering. But I do like the fact that <clears throat> IDW have clearly got that like, because they've, they've got the, Comic rights to Ghostbusters, Turtles, um, mm. Transformers, and obviously Ghostbusters comes as a package. You get the you know, the crossing over event, but then they have crossed over twice with the Ninja Turtles.
1: Um, it's crazy. It's the, everyone's uh, yeah. crossed over with everyone, yeah. everyone ever. I mean, you look at Ready Player One, and that is just called crossover. The movie, you yeah. know, this it's very little plot. It's like it, you know, Space Space Jam, A New Legacy, or whatever yeah. it's bloody called, and. <laughs> Ready play one of like two of the worst things I've ever seen. Where it's just like, <laughs> this isn't a film, this is IP uh masturbation.
0: Yeah, it could
1: be IP stew, it's just everything's been thrown in and it stirred around. Really is. And by the <laughs> end, you go, Well, at least I saw uh Granny from Looney Tunes do the Matrix. <laughs> I guess that happened.
0: Yeah. I couldn't even bring myself to see um that. The what's it? yeah, it just yeah, I saw the trailer and I was just like, I'm, no, I'm I'm you know, I'm not sitting through two hours of that. I mean, um, come on! If if you've seen
1: the first film, you know the original Space Jam, yeah. you have a good idea that it's not a movie you're about to see. It's a bunch of thoughts some Coke had. <laughs> you know, it's, like, yeah. it's it's what happens when a line of cloak Coke gets sentient.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just I just yeah, the trailer was just very much I was like this is yeah. Even my daughter was like, mm, I'm not, I can't stake this. It's too it's too much stimulation in my eyes. I'm going to leave yeah. it. Um, but you know, with these crossover things, you, I I am a sucker for them in. Usually in comic form, you know, like you say, sort of. I've, I've got all the the Ghostbusters crossover ones. And I, I even the, the Ghostbusters, the um, Transformers. Uh, yeah, i kind everything, of enjoy everything, it. Everything, everything's yeah. crossed over. with Everything.
1: You know, they've done Predator and Archie. You know what I mean? It's like whatever you can come up with. <laughs>
0: that was really weird. <laughs> that kind yeah. made no sense. I, I read that like, the first issue. I was like, I, I don't know what tone this. I don't get it. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be. I'm not really being a fan of Archie.
1: A Garfield and Hellraiser crossover. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. it would work, but I get the idea that John Garfield's owner would want to open the box, and Garfield couldn't be asked, and then Pinhead can't do anything because you know they all hate Mondays.
0: Yeah.
1: And then Garfield can say at the end, "You don't need to take me to hell because I live in one perpetual mundane living existence of misery," and then it all ends on a really somber and reflective note.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's a really downbeat note. The fact that even like pinheads, are just like oh man, you're 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 even too fucked up for me. I'm, yeah, uh, you're too I'm,
1: miserable, I'm, Garfield. I can't do it.
0: That's it. Yeah, I'm leaving. Um, no, you're right. though. There's been you know again, it's where it's where the money is. The IPs. I mean, I, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I saw an article about uh, even about this Ghostbusters Afterlife, and there was like the producers were saying like, oh, we want this to lead on to you know, a franchise that can enter all kinds of genres, and you're just like oh.
1: And that's not yeah. I, I this is this is the fundamental problem I have with Ghostbusters,
0: mm.
1: and this is where I guess I can go on a rant because you know don't, don't get me wrong, all things Ghostbusters I love. There's mm. very few parts of the Ghostbusters universe I think are you know reprehensible or off-putting or you know tonally a mistake, anything like that. But then recently, with, the, the issue is is that Ghostbusters as a movie fundamentally you have to remember it was like so different than what was already out there in cinema at the time. Mm. And yet it was quite classical American comedy. So it's been said often before that, you know, all Dan Aykroyd wanted to do was take his love of the supernatural and yeah. basically combine it with his love of films like uh, Bob Hope's Ghostbreakers or Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and treat the horror properly and then treat the comedy as comedy. And so what you effectively got with Ghostbusters was a film that kind of straddled eras of comedy and horror. So you went from like the hammer horror and the broad comedies of America and the kind of uh, the, the, the uh, Catskills kind of uh, screwball comedy. And then you were moving into more natural kind of um, adult comedy, I guess, with Mel Brooks. Mm. And so by the time you got to the eighties, you'd had a few National Lampoon movies, Chevy Chase was breaking through, you know, Dan Ackroyd was breaking through, Bill Murray. And then at the same time, horror was doing the same. It was moving away from broader genres and becoming more realistic things like Poltergeist or The Entity and The Exorcist. And what Ghostbusters did when it came out was it kind of just jumped on all of that at the same time and packaged it together and created a film that was really different from anything else. There hadn't been, in the same way, a quote-unquote big-budget comedy before. And so, yes, you had films like Mad, 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 Mad Will, which cost billions of dollars and had a massive cast, but no high-concept comedy. No, no genre ones. It's the genre isn't it? Yeah. It was the balance of it which really works. It's like a slobs versus the jocks kind of film, like National Lampoon's Animal House, for example, Mm. but with Harold Ramus's kind of National Lampoon's vacation sensibility. And then it's got this Cthulhu gothic horror lurking around the edges, and it's all treated respectfully. So when that film came out, it really did shock everyone. The problem from that point on is how do you keep that excitement going, and how do you keep that? And I contend, bar the real Ghostbusters, it's never really been able to.
0: Well, yeah, the you said that, because that's one of the things that's interesting about it is that first film. We, you know, we talked about it, I was talking about the 2016 Ghostbusters, and I kind of like it, it's fun, you know, like you say, it's, 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 I, I'm happy to return to it, I think some of the elements are really good. But the one thing that sort of stands out between that and the, the 84 version is <clears throat> the 84 version treats the horror like horror. Mm. You know, from the first, from the opening scene with the, the library ghost, like it, that when I was a kid, that scared the shit out of me. Like, you know, the, yeah. when that sort of reveals, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, and then you have elements like, you know, when uh, Dana is possessed and she's floating, like it, as you said, sort of it, it emulates or represents like the exorcist and it's got these sort of uh, parallels to other horrors that are going on. Mm. And also, like you said, one of the key things that was, that was happening in the late seventies into the eighties <clears throat> is this idea that horror—don't say it's coming home because it's not a football game—but like horror was was moving into the suburban and into the modern.
1: Yeah, um, and it was and no it, longer in big castles and you know spooky houses. It exactly, was now yeah. in small, you know, middle America domains.
0: <clears throat> well, that's the real. That's one of the really interesting things is that obviously things—the the, the, the pinnacle of that and one of the main kickoffs of that—is the Amityville horror. You know, the legit thing, this thing that took off and obviously the book was written in the film and there's this idea then it sort of slows into uh, like Burnt Offerings and Poltergeist and and all these other films. Mm. But but they're all in suburbia. And
1: Ghostbusters is one... But no, it's interesting because Poltergeist probably preempted... I mean, it's mostly the same effects crew anyway, but um, it really did bring the fantastical back to horror. Mm. But yet on a kind of you know, recognizable human level, because exorcist and omen and films like that were all heavy on the religious iconography—the devils and demons yes. and pure evil. Whereas, you know, you see some of the ghosts and poltergeists, and they're not too dissimilar from what you see in Ghostbusters, no, you know, well, in terms of some of the designs.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, you know, um, when um, when the to write the end of the film, when the, the final sort of big scare, when the mum tries to get in the room and that big one comes out, the big poltergeist monster thing comes out of that bedroom door. Mm. and blocked her way yeah that that massively looks like um you know a representation of the the library ghost it's got that same sort of like elongated face and the big fangs and that sort of thing so yeah it definitely has that that sort of look and feel um the the interesting thing though is i think going back
1: to the point about you know why ghostbusters worked and why people always say oh it's like lightning in a bottle it, it was because it was a crazed production that went from crazy to manageable to you know cultural phenomenon and they've been chasing that ever since and while cinema's changed around it mm-hmm. ghostbusters as a brand has had to reposition itself every time to try and compete <clears throat> so if you look at and this is my potted history of Ghostbusters now, so I apologise in <laughs> advance. But like, So you have Ghostbusters, it happens in a big success. And then what do you want to do? Well, no one really wanted to make a secret for a while. Columbia, Columbia Pictures didn't want to make those kind of films for a while in the 80s. So it kind of, you know, stewed its juices. Meanwhile, the cartoon series comes in because quite rightly they noticed that it was big with kids because of the fantasy elements that were in Ghostbusters and they wanted to extract that and keep the adult humour for the 84 film and focus more on the fantastical. So that's what it becomes for most of its 80s. And I think for most people, when they think of Ghostbusters, I would argue they think of the real Ghostbusters in terms of its tone, its character, the plots, what they expect from it. And for those six years, it's weird because unlike other Saturday morning cartoons, it was like a workplace comedy. It's just that their workplace (laughs) happened to be, you know, catching ghosts. But there was lots of downtime episodes or human interest episodes, which you couldn't get with Thundercats in some respects. So then you get to 89, the sequel. And the only reason they kind of wanted the sequels because Columbia had just kicked out, oh, what's his face? Uh, He was the big head of uh, Columbia for a while. I forget, but it will come to me 20 minutes after we finish this conversation. Um, Once he left, the new producers that came in, the new heads of uh, Sony decided they wanted to be more populist. And they went, what have we got in terms of IP? Uh, We have Ghostbusters. So they beckon them all back. Eventually they get Bill Murray to agree. They make it, and it's not quite the same because you know, now now they're having to be a blockbuster and not an adult comedy with supernatural elements. And then Ghostbusters doesn't do very well. I mean, it does very, very well for the first weekend, but then unfortunately the next weekend Batman comes out and Mm. no one wants that to happen. So (laughs) then the kind of thing goes into limbo for a year, for years. And then we fast forward to 2016. And without going into all the bullshit, I think the interesting thing about 2016, and it's a film I really do enjoy, is that it's not trying to be Ghostbusters anymore. Mm -hmm. What it's doing is it's using the tone of modern uh, Judd Apatow-esque comedy in America, which, to be fair, was what was going on Mm -hmm. in the early 80s with the Saturday Night Live crew and the uh, Not Ready for Weekend primetime know, They were um, that same kind of group of comedians coming through from TV. And even they had people who say, I don't like this tone of comedy. It's not George Burns. Oh, I can't deal with it. Um, And so Ghostbusters 2016 is effectively, when you think about it, trying to be a Marvel movie. And when you look at it, it's framed more like a Marvel movie, which yes. is why I think the frights are lower. But I think the scale of it is more like you'd expect from a you know, a Marvel movie at the time. I th- there's even parts of the score which are very reminiscent of Marvel at times. Um, so whatever you think of that, I think that's what it was positioned itself to be. So we skip forward to 2016, uh, to, to this year when we got Afterlife. And it's fascinating to see that film as effectively Ghostbusters repurposed as an Amblin movie. So it's Mm -hmm. more thinking, right, we're now going to work on our nostalgia for the Ghostbusters, but feed it through our nostalgia of the 80s instead. And there's a subtle difference because now what you're getting is Ghostbusters as seen through the eyes of people who loved E.T., Goonies, Monster Squad, you know, Back to the Future. It's that kind of thing. And that subtly alters the tone of the film. So now Afterlife is, is a film that's much more... About the nostalgia than it is about being a horror or particularly a, co- uh, a comedy either. Mm. So it's it's just the way the Ghostbusters have had to repurpose itself against you know what's going on because Stranger Things is definitely the biggest influence on this film yeah. for good or for bad.
0: Well, it, it's weird because you know we, we should highlight straight away that like at this point you know um, you've seen the film. Yeah, you
1: know, I saw it two weeks ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You so you've seen it as a press screen. I haven't seen it yet. Um. So no spoilers, please, Paul. No,
1: I'm going to do my very best.
0: <laughs> but the, you're right about some of these things. But one of the things I'm sort of fascinated about is, again, like you, as you say, the state of cinema in each of these periods. Um, and, you know, one of the things I'm sort of, I always find interesting when I look at, like, Ghostbusters 2, for example, is the, the change in Janine. You know, they've yeah. clearly gone, well, Annie Parks doesn't look like the, go- the, the ghost, the real Ghostbusters Janine, but we're going to mm. try. So we're going to do this. And they sort of, they dollar up a little bit. And they inject some of that comedy. And as you say, by um, by that time, sort of like Slimer had become a key figure in it all. So he had to come back and they got these other bits. And there's definitely more of that humour, um, softer humour yeah. sort of. Um, in it's very
1: sitcom compared yes. to the first one. I think that's a big look. when you, Even when you put the score on top of it, Ghostbusters 2 comes across like a like a sitcom, cosy oh. feeling version of the first film.
0: Yeah. I love I love The Ghostbusters 2 score I really do. Um, but you're right it's definitely it definitely leans more into um, typical 80s sort of like you know like, it's uh, very
1: of its time yeah. 88 89 yeah. and it's fascinating because I got the score recently on vinyl mm. and when you hear it as you know just music you realize how bitty it is like mm. how the score is broken up into two or three minute segments very rarely longer than two and it feels like it's because they're stabs, they're little bits that have been dropped in to the scene. And it feels a lot less cohesive than the Elmer Bernstein score as a result.
0: Yeah. Well, the Elmer Bernstein score feels like a whole, doesn't it? Like you can listen mm. to that whole album or that whole score, and it feels of a piece. And I feel that I say with the Ghostbusters 2 score, like you say, it's almost like um, interchangeable pieces that you could be like, right, we're going to have them in this order for this bit, and then actually I'm going to pull a little bit of that one, a bit of that one, and then I'm going to slot it around and stuff. And like you say, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's, that sounds like what's happened. Um, but the film itself, like you say, it definitely is toned down. It's aiming to, to be, um, like you say, a blockbuster, family, it's a family comedy, it's a family film. And it's also
1: chasing the identity of the real Ghostbusters, which at that yes, time exactly. had been the majority of what people thought of when they thought of Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny because when you think about it, there have been four Ghostbusters films. And all four of them were origin stories, basically. Yeah. So you've yeah. never had that momentum of building the universe properly. And the only thing that's ever done that is the, was real, the real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters or yeah. extreme Ghostbusters, mm. if you want to push it. Because obviously, what I missed out with extreme Ghostbusters is that that was filled in that weird nineties void where it was just Ghostbusters but
0: nineties question mark, exclamation mark. Yeah. Well, as I say, it's nineties, so it had to be extreme. Everything in the, yeah. you know, but it, it filled that slot. And again, I think that we'll get to the extreme ghosts actually because it's an interesting little mix. Um, but yeah, I like definitely agree with that. That 92 is chasing that identity, as I say, like you know, the Janine sort of representation.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: and you know, even though the mood slime, you know, it, it feels like you know, okay, well, now we've got a new toy we can market yeah. off the back of this, so that we've got other things we can do. It feels more like it's akin to that.
1: Well, it's um, interesting, Ghostbusters, too, because like, um, a friend of mine, Anthony Bueno, uh, with his sister Claire, did the Cleaning Up the Town documentary. And part two mm. is going to be about the making of Ghostbusters 2. Awesome. And two, two or one, nearly every person working on Ghostbusters 2 said if they'd been given six months more to make this film, it would almost be completely different. Yeah. And I find that fascinating because I think, you know, Ghostbusters, when it was commissioned, was given a ridiculously short turnaround. It was less than a year, I think, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. go make it and release it. And Ghostbusters 2 had a similar... Problem, but I think it caught everyone off guard because of that second difficult album syndrome. Yes, and I think if they'd been given more time to make something, I think we would have had a film less structurally similar to the first film, and maybe more identity and world building.
0: I one of the things I've talked about when we've been doing these these reviews is I, I say about you know I really enjoy the pacing of the first film. Like, you know, it's clear that there's a, there's a very sort of structured, it's you know, classic sort of screenplay. It's got thirty minutes in. They're at the Cedric Hotel. Mm. You know, and then thirty minutes before the end, that, that last, set, that, the last finale is thirty minutes. You know, when it, the shit kicks off, um, with all the the stuff going off around, around the building, <clears throat> and then when you watch two, the courthouse scene with the uh, Scalera brothers thirty minutes in.
1: Yeah, bosh. Then, then cuts a montage sequence of them having a successful career. Yeah, and <laughs> and then, exactly.
0: And then 30 minutes before the end, that last 30 minutes, when, you know, uh, the slime starts to ooze out and all that kind of stuff, and you get a 30-minute finale, and it's it's exactly the same. Like mm-hmm. you play those films next to next, next like, you know, parallel, beat yeah. for beat. And so it feels like you, you, you recognise that as you get older. And
1: I would go further. If you watch the film Evolution, directed by Evan Reitman, I would yes. say structurally it's very very similar as well. Yeah, because he was obviously going for because he took a horror film script and turned it into a goofy mm. Ghostbusters esque fantasy film, um,
0: and that I, feels I, like I, a know, very Ghostbusters. That's that's like a nineties ghost, Ghostbusters film in the air. Yeah, very. Um, but yeah, but say, but the thing about twenty sixteen, like I say, go you know that big jump, um, is is that thing of like I say leaning into the comedy, mm. even with. Two, having that you know that soft comedy, more kids uh, or family appeal. There's still moments in it that I find, even as an adult, like genuinely creepy. Um, hmm. You know, I've re- referenced uh, several times now, sort of like you know uh, Janosch, when he goes to see Dana and his eyes light up, like yeah, yeah lights yeah, yeah. in the corridor. And there's a couple of things like that that look legit creepy. And I just don't find there's anything like that in the 2016. There's nothing where they're really leaning into. Um, no,
1: it's it's funny because I think it does all of that at the beginning in the um in yes. the manner with with the ghost that they go looking for um, the lady who does the big slime projection thing. Always mm. forget the name. Um, but yeah, but again, I think it's because it's working on a different mm. um, tone. I think the, the interesting thing about Ghostbusters 2016 is that I think it's less about the quality of the picture objectively. It's mm. more about do you like the tone of this movie, and if you don't, you don't like it. And I think that's that makes perfect sense to me Um, because what I would say with afterlife is that it has a similar problem as 2016, where I think it can't do the horror because it's not interested in
0: the horror. Yeah. It's going to do something different. I am fascinated. I can't wait to see it, but I, 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 this is the thing. My opinion on it has been
1: middling at best, right? Personally speaking, but I've said to everyone, I'm not out to hate it. I think Mm. everyone should see if they're interested. And the important thing is, I hope it gets. I genuinely hope it gets a sequel because a sequel would be a far more interesting place for the Ghostbusters universe to quote unquote mm-hmm. reboot. Because I think they do just enough to make you go, "All right, I'll see more of this."
0: Yeah. What What else have you got to show me, sort of thing? Yeah, because I mean, i you know, one
1: of the things I do say about this film is that uh, McKenna Grace, the star of it who plays Phoebe, absolutely owns the film, and actually, it was one of the things I had worries going in. It's like, can I deal with a film that has you know small child as a protagonist and actually she's very easily the best thing about the film, easily
0: She's one of those actresses that seems to have cropped up out of like nowhere and mm. um, I don't know if you've watched uh, Handmaid's Tale. Was um, oh, she in that as well? She, Yeah, she's in the third season of that and like, no spoilers not got, yeah, but she appears as a sort of a traumatised character in that and she is absolutely fantastic mm. like heart-wrenchingly so and so you know, and um, I can't remember. She's been in a in something else I've seen recently as well. And she just pops someone up. said she was in Designated Survivor, which I believe is a popular like TV show. Yeah, that was on Netflix. So I've seen her in that. And like, so she's and that's a couple of years ago, so even when she was even younger. So she's just one of these like kid actors that's like legit good. You know, yeah. she's not she's not. Um, being touted out because she's cute or whatever. Like, no, she seems like a genuinely really good actress. So,
1: and yeah, and every conversation you ever see with her uh, promoting the film makes it seem like she is totally into it. She's a big fan. It's like uh, uh, Kate McKinnon, when she was talking about Ghostbusters, was saying this role was a lifetime role for her because she was a kid growing up wishing she could be Egon and, you <laughs> know, not failing of herself represented a character she could represent. So, her playing um, Holtzman was mm. like a big excuse for her to kind of be that child again. And yeah. explore that kind of. And I think that obviously comes through when you see the oh, film because, yeah. you know, she's easily one of the best things about it.
0: Yeah. I, again, Kate McKinnon is just one of the best things. I love Kate McKinnon in pretty much anything she does. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. She's so funny. But um, yeah, but one of the things sort of thinking again about Afterlife, and I'm curious, and, and you know, you can say yes or no on this without <laughs> giving on. away too much. But obviously, we're now starting to live in a period of what has often been referred to as legacy sequels, you know, this thing of like, um uh Blade Runner 2049.
1: Oh, the Star Wars sequels, Star Wars It's, it's, it's everything.
0: This idea, of, yeah. This idea of like what happens with the gap? You know, Willow, they're doing like a Willow TV show for Disney Plus, you know, it's gonna yeah. be Warwick Davis as 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 Willow offgood now in this age. And I'm like, cool, sounds good. But there's this idea of the legacy sequel, like what's happened 30 years later is definitely, you know, is in the zeitgeist. And so, you know, is this another thing that sort of, like you say, is Ghostbusters repurposes itself. It's positioning itself as going, we can actually hit the Stranger Things um, market as well as that Lego yeah. sequel market to the yeah. extent of we're actually, we're, you know we're even going to hire a cast member of Stranger Things um, yeah, right. <laughs> and then we yeah, <laughs> like, couldn't get more, more on the nose if you tried. And I don't even know if Jason Reitman was like punking people. I don't know if that's sort of like, you know. You know, but,
1: you know what? There, there was, I can't remember who said it. Was it Dan Aykroyd or Ivan Reitman said like the minute he saw Stranger Things, he knew what he had to do with the Ghostbusters franchise. And at that point, I was like, right. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. do what you've got to
0: yeah it's i could but it's again it's this thing again you say about the repositioning but look how good how successful like it part one was
1: yeah the interesting thing about it Mm. was it was the story so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the genesis of it was the written page it has that to go from and they repurposed it to make a contemporary and Mm -hmm. use the time difference between the young and the old as a way to look at almost um the tastes of horror and how it's changed Mm. in those times. Difference with afterlife and most legacy films is what, what it's trying to do by filling in those gaps is um, it's like when you, when you retcon a story, doctor who does it all the time Mm. so you can make the next thing you say, make sense. You know, you know, the doctor can say, I've only got 13 regenerations and then two seasons down the line, he goes, well, I've got as many as I need. It doesn't matter. You know, I just need to tell the story. (laughs) And I think a lot of legacy films do that, where they just go, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just going to repurpose this because what what do you know what's happened in 30 years? We're telling you now what's happened.
0: Yeah, and I'm interested. that's one of the things I'm really interested to see, actually. Like, you know, how much... You said about it taps into the nostalgia. I'm quite curious, like, how much does it tap into that idea of the legacy? Well, you know, how much of the gap does it fill in between...
1: It, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but it's, it's interesting. Okay. Because... To me, and maybe I've missed a reference or two, because I've only seen it once, Mm -hmm. it seems to ignore Ghostbusters 2, which is confusing.
0: Yeah. And then there's a plot development, which I won't go into,
1: which doesn't make sense to me, because Mm -hmm. it seems the antithesis of what that character would do. So I was kind of like, okay, so they need to tell this story, and they need to tell it this way, and they need to tell it in a way that directly ties itself to '84. And that's kind of my big problem with it. In that, mm. I don't mind, I don't mind them repurposing Ghostbusters to be a family adventure about kids catching ghosts, but I am concerned when it's more about retelling that film rather mm. than recontextualizing it or adding to it, even.
0: Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, to see, I'll say because even from the trailers, I think I saw people saying, like, you know. Um, even the trailer when sort of like uh, Paul Rudd's character says sort of like, you know, the um, it, you know, the 80s, it was like the Walking Dead sort of thing. And yeah. there's all this thing of like, you know, y- yes, people, you know, you might forget, I don't know, forget a hundred foot star Marshmallow Man walking down the street. Don't think many people will forget the Statue of Liberty walking down the street. um well, th- This is the thing they say, which I can say because I don't
1: think it says, gives away too much at all. But mm. um They basically say, after what happened with Gozo in 84, the Ghostbusters ran out of work to do, and so mm. they closed down because they, they were too good at their job. But then I'm thinking, but do they mean after 89, when all that shit happened with the Slime Museum and the uh, yeah. Statue yeah. of Liberty and you know the Slime flooding New York? No one wants to count that because that was pretty apocalyptic too. Mm. And then if you want to be even more nerdy about it, it definitely rewrites the Ghostbusters, the video game, which now makes no sense based on the plot of Ghostbusters Afterlife.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, um, the, the, you know, this thing of the Ghostbusters game being canon was always flimsy to me. It was always a, we can't be, we're not going to make a three. So we're going to give you this as a, an alternative. And, and I love says, the game. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. I the like game. the game.
1: And I do but, like how it ties two to one by saying the architecture just happened to put this stuff in place, which inadvertently helped Vigo draw the power that he needed mm. to become powerful. And I was like, all right, that works. And they go into the hellscape and they fight, you know, um, Shandor and Zool again and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, it's a video game. I get it. It works. And they've kind of dealt with what I imagine. because have you ever read the script that floated around of Ghostbusters three, uh, what was it called? Hell on earth or hell bent.
0: Yeah, did it become a novel though, or something? I, I remember, no. I, I remember the script kicking around. I remember reading it a while ago, but yes.
1: Yeah. So I, because I'm writing a book, I read the script for the first time properly. So mm. I read a few pages here and there. Mm. But I sat down, I read the whole script, um, in an evening, and it was the single most depressing thing I've ever read in my <laughs> life because it was so bloody awful. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting to see elements of it turn up in uh, the video game. And it was very interesting to see certain elements of it turn up in the um, afterlife movie. But what was interesting about Ghostbusters Hellbent was just how utterly unfunny it was. Mm. Because Dan Aykroyd's spinning like seven plates in this script. He's got it starts off with like a Ghostbusters van with a new team turning up at the old warehouse where all the Ecto ones are kept. And as you flick on all the lights, there's like, 50 Ecto-1s of different types of cars and buildings with different crews around New York with different departments. And it was like, that's cool. Unfortunately, all the new characters are unfunny and boring. But all right, yeah. that's cool. And then you get to about an hour into the script, you go, where's Venkman? It's mostly been Egon and, uh, you know, and, and Ray, and Winston pops in every now and then. But where's Venkman? And then, right at the end, with the denouement where hell is run by a guy who's basically a yuppie, like Wall Street, and hell is run by this kind of weird, I don't know. Yeah, like a banker, basically. Mm. And it all gets complicated. Ray really, gonna end up in heaven. <laughs> and they meet God, who shows himself to the Ghostbusters as Peter Venkman. So Bill Murray <laughs> would come back from the dead <laughs> as God, basically. He says nothing of note and then disappears. And it was like two minutes of screen time because the character of Venkman had died. But mm-hmm. they didn't want to talk about it.
0: It's full of crazy Dan Ackwood shit like that. Yeah. This is the thing. It's always interesting when you see these things. Like, you know, first draft scripts turned into yeah. things. You know, like you said it is a, a
1: Yeah. Very virtual first draft yeah. script because the first draft of Ghostbusters was mad shit too until oh, yeah. Yeah, Harold well, Ramis that, came that's, in.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, it was this crazy sort of thing where they were like, oh, "I was going to cost 100 million in 82. You know, sort of like, it's not going to happen.
1: No, happened, you see,
0: you, you get this feel that, like, you know, Harold Ramis was clearly... A, a steady rudder, you know, he was like, Yeah, we've got to tone this down. Obviously, Ivan Wright was involved as well, but like, this is what we've got to do. We've got to keep it funny and do this and that. Um, and this happens like they've recently did, and because again, like I think it's Dark Horse or whatever have been doing it, they've been turning sort of like um unproduced scripts into um comics, oh, comic
1: books and stuff. Yeah,
0: and so they redid it like Alien 3, you know, it was oh, the, yeah, um, Ian Gibson, uh, Alien 3. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't become a film. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> not good. It's, it's, yeah. it, was, it was, like you say, it was all right at best. It was like five issues. And I was like, this barely holds together.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's... it is It is one of those things. I, you know what? On that note, if IDW ever wanted to do a comic book series of Dan Aykroyd's Hellbent, I would be very interested to see it.
0: Mm. It works. It's, it's, it's I'm going to tell
1: them on Twitter this now, actually. I'm going to do it right <laughs> after this recording.
0: <laughs> it's worth sort of... Um, it's see and it's you know when I see these things, I think, oh, it's cool, it's interesting to see, but like it does give you that um, that avenue of going like, yeah, the, 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 what was on film is better. You know, it may, it may not mm. be much better, but it's better. Um, but the um, the whole the, the things you've just said there, one of the weird things is like Ghostbusters is falling into the Halloween territory, isn't it? Of like, choose your own adventure so we've got ghostbusters and ghostbusters afterlife like you know we have got ghostbusters ghostbusters 2 and you could then call it a day mm. or you've got ghostbusters ghostbusters 2 the game you know to, to form your trilogy if you want that
1: well, yeah. what i
0: would say is the idw uh, comic um in particular the dan Shoning and uh, was it one uh, that starts from from going back from issue 1 of that run mm. that fully acknowledges everything so that yeah. sort of says like okay some of the, Not maybe all of the IDW comic stuff that happened, but it does sort of. But it says like, oh yeah, no, one happened, two happened, the game happened, and then the comic.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think IDW done some of the best world building of Ghostbusters. In fact, possibly full stop, they did the best world building outside of the real Ghostbusters because, you know, the films of ignoring the first, because my theory is always there's Die Hard and then there's four John McClane movies. There's Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then there are three Indiana Jones movies. I I kind of think of things like that, you know, so I don't get too het up about it. So I kind of think like in many respects, Ghostbusters is a bit like that. There's Ghostbusters. And then there are three Ghostbusters movies, you know, and you can take and pick and choose what you like from each, because to be fair for all the ups and downs, none of them are reprehensible. You know, it's just, just, it's just hard when you're living in the shadow of the classic film.
0: Yeah. Well, that's always going to be the way, isn't it? Like, you know, there's always that thing of that's the pinnacle. You know and it's not, it's you know, it's very rare that a sequel meets or beats, um, or I should say, beats or even meets uh, the original. You know, you get the few, arguably Terminator and Terminator 2. Yeah, um, but other than that, like you say, you, you, you that second album is a real problem. But my theory has been,
1: oh, this is going to sound really cruel, Ghostbusters is not. Marvel. It's not no. Star Wars. It's not Star Trek. Ghostbusters was one hit comedy in '84, which mm. blew everyone's minds. And the o- the only reason we still have these conversations as fandom is because we fell in love with the real Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. which gave us the fixes we need. And if it was a bad episode one week, doesn't matter because beneath these streets is on next week, and that's yeah. a banger. You know, you've got things like that, and so you've had this thing where it's like Ghostbusters should stop trying to be. The next Star Wars, the next thing, and that, this is the fault of Sony because they only have two IPs worth of anything, and it's Ghostbusters and Men in Black, and you see what they did with Men in Black recently, oh god, you know, yes, yeah. Sony struggle as a company, full stop, with dealing with stuff. Because well, whereas Disney want to have things that fill their theme parks, yeah, yeah, Sony make films so they can put their laptops and mobile phones in them. It, well, it, there's a subtle difference.
0: There was a, there's two things I want to come to on that. There's, there's a conversation, and it's been an open it's been an open conversation by Sony of them saying like we are going to have a last ditch the last ditch push um for a bunch of stuff and if it doesn't work we're selling them all off like we'll Sony's... see
1: how that goes because that would leave sony with nothing
0: they, don't care. <laughs> they they, they want to sell off their film studio they're just going to go we're going to focus on tech that i kind of be- think they should though because like yeah i, I just I, this is this is not what i want I
1: feel Ghostbusters would be better hands with someone like Disney. Mm. You know, just because I feel like we might get a decent bloody theme park ride out of it, yeah. but finally, if nothing yeah. else. Um, but it, it's just the strangest thing. It's like Ghostbusters, in my opinion, should be like a Netflix series now. Yes. You know, something where you can start a story, tell it over seven or eight episodes, have it like, you know, the Buffy structure almost. Once mm. of the week, but a story going on in the background with an apocalypse building or a big case and tell some new stories and get to know these characters and, oh, look, there's Dan Ackroyd turning up for one episode. There's your, there's your star. Or yeah. something I would love to do, like the way Big Finish make Doctor Who's. I would love to make audio ghostbusters yeah, adventures. Yeah, fill in you know, the the like that.
0: Yeah, fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps, build
1: adventures. the world, tell interesting and different stories that you can't risk doing in the cinema because yeah. you've got to make sure that first weekend box office allows you to do more.
0: Well, you, you said about the world building and one of the things, you know, that thing of filling in the gaps. One of the things I love in the comics is is Winston. Yeah. Win, Winston in the comics, in the IDW books, uh, especially in the, again, the Dan Sheldon stuff, is... A great character,
1: you know. You it, it's a, just because he gave him the chance to actually say more than just be an audience surrogate.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, they give him a really fleshed out background. They've given him a family. He's got, you know, he's, he's had the relationships and all this other stuff. Like he's really grown and become a really interesting character. Um, and I, I, always feel when I want, when I do go back and watch uh, eighty four and eighty nine, like I do feel for only Hudson. When I'm like, you know, God, yeah.
1: I mean, the stories that he told on, on for Cleaning Up the Town documentary was that when he got the script that he agreed to sign on and do, mm. and all these great lines in, and then he turned up on set and, like, half of his lines had been cut out or given to Bill Murray. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, that would suck too, because apparently he nearly punched Ivan Reitman on set or something or yeah. threatened him and wanted to walk off. And I kind of think, yeah, I, I'd be like that too.
0: Yeah, my understanding is he was given what has been referred to in a few cases as the um, Eddie Murphy script. Right, yeah. So when it was offered, you know, because they were talking, they, they, they thought, "Oh, we'll get Eddie Murphy, and he's he's an up and coming SNL star. Like he can be the Winston." And they were going to give him those lines. And then they obviously brought Ernie Hudson in, and were like, "Then they were like, actually, do you know what? Some of these are really good. <laughs> we're going to start distributing them around the other characters."
1: I would still um, say he gets some still of the some of the best lines in that film. Still, mm, it's just a shame because like it's so strange structurally in terms of plot. His character is pointless. If yeah. he's meant to be like the rational human audience surrogate who comes in and says, this shit's crazy, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't really bring him in 45 minutes into the film. Yeah. He, he needs to be right there at the beginning so he can roll along with it. Up until that point, Venkman's meant to be the audience surrogate because he he's the wink to the audience that this is crazy, but don't worry, I'm here. And then Dana walks in and then that character's done with being an audience surrogate and now he's got a love interest and in a story. So it's kind of weird how that film...
0: Although treason. it's got a great
1: script, mm. doesn't really have a good plot. You know, it, it, it you can have you can have a great script that doesn't really have a great plot. And mm. I think Ghostbusters is one of those films where it builds up, builds up, sets its world up, builds up, and then for the last half hour it just goes, oh, and the apocalypse, and you go, yeah. right, fine, I'm, I'll buy it because I, I like you and these characters and this world. I want to see where this goes.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's yeah, it works on that level. But I say that you're right, the plot. Has got has got issues and again even some of the characters have got issues so you know I know I've often had to defend it for people that have accused Venkman of being you know uh, beyond lecherous um, <laughs> that
1: scene in Dana's apartment on reflection now is less cute when he puts his foot in the door and demands a kiss and yeah. you think yeah that's creepy man <laughs> yeah it doesn't
0: work anymore it's, it's a little weird um but again, but then I I, I spoke to a, a, a friend of mine and she said, actually flip it around. It's actually a really good it's a really good scene of representation because Dana doesn't take any of his shit. Like she's yeah she's an independently she's an independent woman living as a musician in New York in a great apartment and she's not going to take any shit from Peter Bankman. Like um, hmm. so you know she it, it sort of works both ways of like yeah, I think it's a dick, I think on the she, page.
1: Yeah, on the page, it probably doesn't come across as abrasive as it does when mm. Bill Murray starts putting his improvisations or inflections or whatever into it. And I and I can't help but think in the script, and I, I might be proven wrong, and it might be right there in the script, but like, I can't imagine him putting his foot in the door and demanding a kiss was in there, other than him saying that on the way out, and then mm. she slams the door behind. So somewhere in the performance, it just comes across as a bit, bit much. Yeah. Because I walk away from that scene even as a kid to be fair going what does she see in him yeah.
0: <laughs> really <Yeah. laughs> you know yeah it kicks off his arc you know i've always said that, like, that venkman's arc is him being a selfish con artist and, and then by the end of the film willing to sacrifice himself to save yeah Daniel and, and that, that,
1: that's you know something that people forget about as well as like you know there are characters in that they mm. aren't just line delivery systems yeah. And you know, one of the things I always defend about 2016 is that I think it's interesting how I've I didn't expect there to be a really warm core about friendship in that story. Mm. And about how it's more about these two girls coming together after being apart, but falling in love with something as kids, one going into it and one throwing it away for a way and then coming together. And you've realized at the end of the film it's it's about their relationship. And yes, that was really true. touching, something that you don't expect.
0: No, and it works. I mean, one of the things, again, I haven't spoken about it very recently with uh, a friend of mine, and she sort of said that it runs parallel better. Than, a better comparison for that film um, than Ghostbusters 84 is Bridesmaids.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, you uh, know, same director, same sentence exactly. in terms of comedy. Yeah. Same talent pool. Mm. It's just, it, again, it comes down to tone. I think you either like the tone of Ghostbusters or it puts you off. And I, I genuinely understand why it puts people off. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff in there that still... To me, when people say, and this really pisses them off because they instantly go, how dare you call yourself a Ghostbusters fan? But I'm like, I can't help it. This is my worldview. But like when people say, what's your favorite moment in any of the Ghostbusters films? I say, it's the Holtzman Times Square slam down sequence because it's everything I wanted as a kid when I wanted to see a Ghostbusters movie. And the way the score ramps in the theme tune, you know, the Ray Parker Jr. theme and it's over too soon is my only real complaint because that whole scene the Times Square Slamdown is something you hadn't seen in Ghostbusters before. Yeah. You'd seen them all stand there, shaking their wands and at one thing, but you'd never seen them taking on hundreds of ghosts with different types of equipment and, you know, slime and grenades and everything. And it was like, this is cool. You might not like the comedy,
0: but I think this bit's fucking awesome. No, I agree with that. That bit where she's like, um, "Oh, I forgot I've got the new toys," and she gets the two handguns, yeah. and then she licks. Yeah, that that whole section is ace. It's yeah, it it's still gives me goosebumps when yeah. that music kicks in, and I'm like, "This is all I want. Yeah. Just give me the cheap thrills, please." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Now I I hundred percent agree with that because that's one of the moments I I hold up there as if, if hmm. you know probably top five moments across all the films. Yeah. I um, want to quickly cover off, like we say, you know, we've been talking for a while, but one of the things we will cover oh, yeah. off is the real Ghostbusters. We've sort of skirted around it and we've talked about it and referenced it, but like you actually mentioned an episode, like, you know, Beneath the Streets, mm. um, which is a great episode. Um,
1: it's almost worthy enough to have been a Ghostbusters 3 plot. It could have easily have done, you know, it's that like, epic.
0: That's gonna be, That was going to be my question, because there's a couple of episodes where I feel the same, and that's one of them is Beneath mm. the Streets, and the other one is Knock Knock. Is that the um, is that the bogeyman one? No, it's the one where the subway guys find the door, and um, they're drilling the. Subway oh God! The with door. the
1: not big knocker.
0: Yeah, and it says "Do not open until doomsday," and it opens. That's uh, right. And all the tube trains become like big worms, and there's all kinds of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And there's a moment that is that, a great one. Yeah, well, the, the, I love that episode because at the end of it been it, it it feels similar to, to Ghostbusters because the end of it is about them sacrificing themselves. They they march through the door. Um, to then also, you know, shoot into the this heart of this thing for everything to be sucked back in. Mm. And they're like, yeah, we may or may not make this out. And there's the jokes. There's a very sort of Venkman joke where they're about to climb in and Venkman says to Ray, says, uh, Ray, I'm going to go over to the neighbours. They're playing their music too loud. Are you coming? And then they climb up to go in. Yeah. To this thing. And I'm like, this episode is brilliant. Like, it's, it's
1: really good. It's a great example of why Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters, is different from things like Thundercats and, and you know mm. Transformers and G.I. Joe or whatever else at the time. Because the humour in it is off-kilter for a kid's show, and that yeah. kind of humour only works, really, when you know who Bill Murray is. Yes, And that doesn't necessarily take anything away from the script, but it shows you just how much they understand that character. Because De- Venkman isn't a character. Venkman is just Bill Murray in a jumpsuit, you yeah. know, in that first film. And that's what it is, because you could take... Bill Murray out of that, plonk him in stripes, same basic character Take Mm. him out of that, drop him in meatballs, same thing Whereas when you see him as animated Bill Murray All of a sudden that becomes the character Mm. And you need lines like that to remind you that this is based on an adult comedy And it shows shows that there's a familiarity, there's a world there It's lived in, there's a shorthand between characters Yes And that's really interesting It's one of the things why, because don't get me wrong Lots of real Ghostbusters and especially towards the back end is awful. But yes. that's just because of the nature of they had to make what it was it 140. I mean, it was a first commission of our 80 odd episodes. Mm. So they were churning it all out. And I think you see the ideas running out halfway through. But even yeah. at the beginning, I lost count of times of how many episodes begin with Slimer accidentally doing something naughty, which causes uh. a chain of problems. Yeah. Which, you know what I mean? It's like so many plots begin with Slimer doing something he shouldn't. <laughs> and you just think, yeah. ah, all right, but well, that's there's the more you, to you,
0: you get. Yeah, because you do. You got like, Slimer come home and adventures in slime and space, and you get those ones where it's Slimer centric. Yeah. Um, and a lot, of, some of those are okay, and you know, but, but there's like there are ones that like my go to, like say, knock knock beneath the streets. Um, I'm trying to think the sort of I'm trying to think the names, but there's like uh, there's one called a uh, call collector Cthulhu. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah there's, there's so, This is what I love about it Because one week can
1: be epic Where they're de- de- dealing with demigods and things yeah. And weird monsters, you know Made up of steel that's come together Because it's, that you know, that episode uh, What's it called? Lost in Foundry Yes um, That's a great one But then there's episodes where it's like dealing with Egon Because you find out he got into ghost hunting Because of the bogeyman And that's a big scary thing for him And he has to deal with that It's like, you can tell those smaller stories as well yeah, well, and the- that's what I'd love to see more of,
0: yeah, because the one about Egon, where his his uncle turns up and makes him go back to work in a other laboratory, yeah, um, and this like this this weird episode. There's great episodes that, um, the the, the 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 Revenge of Murray the Mantis,
1: yeah, which is, is it, an odd one.
0: Is, a, is it a, is it is one of the odd ones? I kind of like, but like it ends with Stapoff fighting a, a giant. you know it's like it's it's bizarre but i'm like oh that's that's really cool one of the one of the
1: curses of ghostbusters is that it's too good right and Mm. so when something's too good why don't you steal from it all the time but Mm. every time i see the marshmallow man in any appearance outside of the first film i go it make no sense yeah stop it (laughs) it's like you
0: know well, the, the problem is, like you say, and this is, I agree, it, it sort of becomes frustrating when you see him and he gets obviously re- t- touted out in the real Ghostbusters repeatedly. I'm like, hmm. I'm like, Staple isn't a character in and of himself. He's no. a manifestation of Gozer. <laughs> Specifically, he's the manifestation
1: of Dan Aykroyd's idea of what he would like to face in the final <laughs> yeah. battle, which he would think would be an easy win. And that's the joke. That's what, that's why yeah. that's such a great joke. Because when I saw Ghostbuff for the first time and they say, you know, the traveler has come and you hear the footsteps stomping. I had to cover my eyes mm. because I thought I was going to see something terrible and monstrous. And then the audience started laughing. And because I'm, you know, insecure, I thought they were laughing at me because I was scared. But <laughs> I didn't realize it was because a great big marshmallow man had just appeared on screen. And that's why that works. And so, mm. It just about gets away with that in 2016 because it's more of a joke than an actual threat.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But in 20, in Afterlife, I was sitting there going, there is no reason for mini-stay puffs. I'm sorry. It's cute, but I hate
0: this. <laughs> it's one of the first things. When they released that clip, I, I was in... I, I still am, and I, I probably will be until the film. I'm in two minds about it because there's a part of me that just goes... Oh, this was probably a studio directive of like,
1: yeah, we want to is, see stay puffed
0: it... and we want to be able to sell shit. So get stuff in there that can become toys. And they've gone, Oh, mini puffs would be a fantastic idea because and it sounds like them. minions as well, doesn't it? Oh well, totally. And I'm assuming they make a similar noise because they sort of do in the clip off scene. So
1: yeah, no, they do. It, it's this I mean, look, I, I think everyone should see it. I'm on the yeah. fence about it, but I was struck by how similar it was to the film Goosebumps, which came out a few years earlier, which was also a Sony film. That's a bad
0: thing. I kind of like that
1: film. I'm hey, an adult. If I was eight and I'd seen Goosebumps, it would be my favourite film of all time. Mm. And the only thing that kind of stops it from becoming a film I, as an adult, love is because I kind of feel the last 20 minutes doesn't really work mm. and it gets overloaded with some of the CGI. That, that being said, that is still a fantastic kids supernatural comedy and it you know i i'd, I'd love it if i was a young but
0: ghostbusters afterlife really has that flavor mm. for good or for bad i think we'll leave it there because i'm really sort of i'm, I'm turning up this part of me that i want to see it but i'm tempted to ask it, but not. <laughs> definitely, to no, not- definitely see it because there's I'm lots of good there yeah, yeah, I'm, and, t-
1: yeah. I'm going there's lots, lots of good in there yeah. and i think I hope it's successful because it really deserves a sequel where it can stand on its own with the characters that they developed.
0: Yeah. The thing is, what I say is, I, like, I, I, I do respect and kind of like the fact that they have gone, you know, yeah, there's going to be something there for the sort of, like, you know, the people that were in love with the real Ghostbusters and sort of the original and so on and so forth. But they know, they are fully aware that they're looking for a new generation.
1: Yeah. And um, that's completely fine. I wish they'd done more, something a little bit more original while mm. spinning on the 84 iconography. And that's just my bugbear with the film. Um, I have others, but I'm going to go into a massive rant about that once the film comes out. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but generally, the bottom line is, I really hope it's success because I think the franchise kind of needs it. Well, not needs it, that's not fair. Deserves it. Mm. And I would genuinely like to see where it goes if it's successful. Yeah. I'd prefer a TV series spin-off, but well, what do I know? I'm not the suits.
0: Yes, that's it. Yeah, not the money men. One of the yeah. things I'm always curious about, and we'll, we'll sort of wrap up on this before we go into the, the final questions. I look at like other other cartoons, and this is where I think you you you're right about the difference between Ghostbusters and those other 80s cartoons, Thundercats, Transformers, Ninja Turtles. Mm. Um, they've had iteration after iteration you know, like uh, Turtles have been has been re- remodelled and rebooted. Like the same story, like repeatedly, you know, from the 80s cartoon through to the early 2000s and then the CG one and so on and so forth. The same with Transformers. That's had, like multiple iterations.
1: Oh, yeah. They're like Pokemon these days. You can't keep track.
0: Yeah. And the same with all of like, that. Thundercats has had a couple and, and um, all those things. And so even like he man, like, you know, we've got He Man revelations now. So it's, they're all coming back. They've all had these different iterations. Mm. Ghostbusters only really had Extreme Ghostbusters, and that sort of acted as a sequel. Yeah, and
1: it, you know they do turn up in the last two episodes of mm. uh, of Extreme Ghostbusters, or the original crew. Um, honestly, Ghostbusters never really went away. Mm. The problem is, outside of real Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters. Everything since then has been like chasing the dragon. It's been trying to get that high, that say. I mean, don't get. It's not just Ghostbusters. You look at the Star Wars sequels, and they're chasing that high that we had when we first saw those films. It's not specific to Ghostbusters. the The, the, the falsity is, we shouldn't be chasing what we felt when we were kids. Mm. We should be, cha- we should be asking for things that make us feel like kids. Does that make, a difference? No, I, I,
0: yes, I agree. I a hundred percent understand what you're saying. Because um, I'm diff- never going to get
1: that high again from seeing Ghostbusters. But if I'm going to yeah. see a new Ghostbusters film, give me something new or different.
0: There's, yeah. There's a thing of like, um, there's this, there's a sensation of going to see a film and being like, captured by it you know sort of like really being in the moment with that film and and like you say being sort of not just taken back to your childhood but but being able to enjoy it as a kid Hmm. um i think sometimes sort of like horror can you know i'm going to be really like halloween kills recently um not overall a great film i did not like that film (laughs) Uh, but i'm a bit of a you know not much a gore hound but i like it when horror goes daft like i'm really sort of like all for you know yeah balls out go stupid or go home so when that film goes all out I was like yeah I am so into this that I, I you know I was just into that film in that moment
1: um, yeah, but, it, but it's again it's imagine it like this there's Halloween and then there's like Michael whatever, Myers- 11 Michael Myers films and that yeah. kind of contextualizes it better in your head I think
0: no, and that's a really, I've never thought about that. And I'm definitely going to keep it. I like that idea. It's a good theory. It's a good, it's a good sort of thought process to sort of. Just takes
1: the edge off getting it stressed does. every time they make a new Indiana Jones movie or whatever you think. It's not Raiders, but God, yeah. don't let it be Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll never forget seeing Crystal Skull. I saw it in cinema. I was in America at the time and it was me and two of the people in there. And uh, I was in Las Vegas uh, and I went to see it. And then, as we came out, the, me and these two other guys just looked at each other and just sort of like the look of like di- general disappointment between strangers was palpable. <laughs> the thing is, I think the first half of that film is fine.
1: The minute they get to the jungle, all the wheels, the doors, the engine yeah. just come off. Yeah. And it just becomes this onslaught of what you're doing? That makes no sense. Why are you doing that? And it, it it's such a, it was like, it's the, blockbuster equivalent of like blue balls because i remember seeing yeah. going it's going to kick off now oh look there's a great big machine with blades i bet indiana jones is going to have a fight <laughs> on that tree chopping machine oh no he's just blown up with a bazooka and that's that dealt with oh and now it's a cgi race for the jungle with monkeys mm. oh right
0: then i no for me the moment and i know it became that sort of the cliche but the moment the fri- the bit of climbing in the fridge i wasn't bothered by no, that, I, I was, was fine with that. It's yeah, stupid, it's the, but... It's the gopher. <laughs>
1: you see, I think that's s- symbolic. Right. <laughs> my, my theory about that is that Spielberg literally saying to the audience, you're making a m- mountain out of a mobile hill. Right. I think he's saying... I, 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 this is just my theory, and it's not qualified anywhere else, but the fact that it turns from the Paramount Mountain to a molehill hill yeah. says to me that Spielberg saying, calm down, it's just a bloody Indiana Jones movie. At the same time, that also tells me Spielberg's thinking, Oh, don't worry, it's only a bloody Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. You think
0: there uh, there you go then. That's what it sort of said to me, because all it made me think about was Caddyshack.
1: Um yeah, and I was like I oh, would okay. have been awesome. Yeah. If it'd come out dancing, <laughs> yeah. it's all right. Nobody dig about us. I would that would make the film the best one.
0: Exactly. It would have elevated it. But this, you're right about this idea of sequels and how things like you say, if you have Robocop. And then you have Robocop movies, you know. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah, I get. I, I, I like that.
1: There's very few trilogies or sequels where you can say there they there's unity. Like, I would say Lord of the Rings yeah. is the obvious example because they are a three part story told thusly, right? And maybe, maybe you can say Back to the Future, maybe. Mm. But the rest of it's just, you know, Godfather. The thing is, no one goes, I'm going to make three films in a row and tell this story because financially that makes no sense. Lord of the Rings was a big gamble. just happened to pay off. And the fact that Avatar, there's going to be four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm like, (laughs) I don't even think we need a second one of those, Jim. (laughs) But, you know, it's odd. Whereas sequels are, by manufacture, a process of recapturing the success of something that has already been proven, theoretically. Which is why you get things like Beverly Hills Cop Three, which just sleepwalks its way through everything.
0: The, the only—I'll I'll throw this out before we finish because uh, do you know what? You and I, I think you and I could talk about this for fucking hours. But...
1: Oh yeah, and I need to get eat some food, so yeah. I need to do that real um, soon, mate.
0: Last—the last one I'll say is—is is, is for me. I, I call it the sort of one of those great American trilogies, is Rocky one to three. <laughs> maybe yeah, because that works to me as a sort of like as, as a saga, as a tale. You know the whole mm. thing. I love rock. I love the rest of the Rocky films. I'm even partial to Rocky Five. But um, and I I'm, would
1: ch- I would challenge you on the best sequels of the eighties. Do you know what I would suggest? Go on. Star Trek two, three, and four.
0: Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. You know I what I mean? I, they're
1: not yeah overall great movies apart from two, but they're a nice little trilogy.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact it ends on four, and they're, they're just basically at that point like fuck it. Yeah, we're going to go do a comedy. we are going to toss basically... about in the past. Yeah, we're going, to do an, we're going to do an 80s comedy with the Star Trek crew. Well, was it, but that was the most successful one they ever made. Yeah, that point was,
1: as well. Yeah. And it was because Leonard Nimoy, quite rightly, said, look, we've done how many apocalyptic battles in space now and planets blowing up and re- mm. the life and death. Let's chill and have fun with these characters. And it's like, for whatever else you want to say about it, it's very 80s, because it also taps into that 80s kind of cocoon yeah, the style of and stuff, yeah. Starman Cocoon type of sci-fi that was there at the time as well. So it, it's got the DNA of that, and it just works as a really nice sequel. Of it does.
0: I, I love those those three as a trilogy. And then they thought, Do you know what, William William Shatner's turn. We'll give him five. Yeah, that that's the thing. But without, I mean, the, the thing is,
1: I feel sorry for Shatner because I don't think he's the problem. I think the problem was. They were. He was let down by the production and the special effects. And when yeah. you can't achieve the things you have written down in this script, and it would, by all accounts, the original script was much more epic and, and, and higher stakes. That when you turn around and you can't even have what you want on screen, even a spaceship going by, it must be demoralising. It's worth reading
0: the novelization.
1: I'll Apparently so, yeah. Because it's got all the, the lava monster stuff in it at the end. And things, hasn't it? It yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's worth reading the novelization. It's a it's a, then, it's a different slightly different story.
1: But then the gift is you get undiscovered country after that. And I I I think Undiscovered Country needs to get more love. because I think That's it's great. just I'm as love. good as two.
0: Yes. I I totally agree. It's probably my uh, yeah, it's my top three. Easy. Yeah. I have just all of a sudden the last
1: few months for some reason I've gone on a big Star Trek bent. <laughs> so I've been buying selective blue <laughs> rays because I saw like Star Trek Beyond and I hated the second one so much that I had given up hope on Beyond. And when mm. I saw it. A few months ago i was like oh i really should have given this some time at the cinema because this was like the best star treks in star trek six
0: yeah I, I i honestly think I, we, I don't know why we've gone this parallel thing but i i've done the yeah. same like recently uh, towards the start of the year i watched like motion picture well, this year i watched like motion picture and i was like i should try some of these i think i kind of like them and i've just plowed through them all yeah and there's the ones where i'm like yeah that's god awful like um Towards insurrection, ne- insurrection, really, does made a nemesis. Like Captain really- Picard
1: goes on a hike with some bloody hippies. It's <laughs> yeah. not what I want to see.
0: Yeah, Um, but there are, even in every other film, I believe, say with ghost stuff, there's something I like. You know, yeah, might, there might be great as a whole, as a whole, but there's like even I I really like the motion picture, like the stuff in it that I really enjoy. Hmm. Anyway, this is a massive tangent, and we may do another show. But we can just come back and talk. <laughs> this shit yeah, but. Final question, then, so Paul, because you'll be able to sort of give, give a pop for your show as well. Um, final question, then: do you believe in ghosts?
1: Yes and no, because I went ghost hunting for about five years of my life mm. and had some crazy adventures. I had stuff that I can't explain. But do I believe in life after death? No, probably not. Now I'm a bit pragmatic about it. I think we turn to rot. So I enjoy the spookums, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm on the fence like everything.
0: That's a good place to be. That we you can lean on either way, depending on what you're feeling. Yeah. Halloween's always a good time to sort of go, yeah, of course, I believe. And then Christmas. No, the, the, the Cash summer. in on that, ching Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on to talk Ghostbusters. I've really enjoyed it. My and pleasure. else. Um, but before we leave, where can people find you and where can they find The Cheap Show?
1: So I have a weekly podcast called Cheap Show. Me and my co-host, Eli Silverman, attempt every week to find treasure in the trash that we find in charity shops, bargain bins, pound lands, discount stores, wherever. And we try and have a bit of fun with it from food to toys, to games, to films, to all sorts. Whatever we can find in a charity shop, we yeah, have a chat about it. So, if you want to know more, go to thecheapshow.co.uk, and that's your one-stop shop for everything because we've got videos, pages for the, all the podcasts. The podcast is on everything. If you've got Spotify, it's on that. If you've got iPod, Apple thing, it's on that. If you've got Stitcher, it's on that. So, just look for Cheap Show. And if you're on Twitter, it's at the Cheap Show Pod, and I'm at Paul Gannon Show. And I think I can got I got that out quite quickly because I've said it now for six bloody years.
0: But well done yeah that was very concise loved it uh, and, and it will be in the bo- uh, the notes below there'll be a link to the website and to uh, the cheap show and paul's twitter feed as well so uh, as i say paul thank you very much for coming on. i really appreciate my it. my pleasure uh, and ladies and gentlemen you know if you enjoy what we're doing on this show go to your podcast catcher we're all over the place as well pretty much every podcast catcher we're out there leave a review five stars four stars whatever you want to do all the feedback is appreciated and if you really like what you do and you want to help us keep the lights on in 20th century towers go check out our patreon that's uh patreon.com slash 20 it's two zero, cg media uh, and on there we do all kinds of bits and pieces uh, i've got a weekly podcast where we go trekking through the twilight zone uh, i do a monthly podcast of my 30 minute thoughts and a whole bunch of other stuff going on there behind the scenes things and different pieces, hours and hours of uh, podcast entertainment uh, so go check that out uh, but ladies and gentlemen thank you very much and uh, we shall speak to you again soon <music>